You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for life uh, and for the new life that we have in Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, show us that life now as we uh, come to your word, as we uh, think deep on it, and that you would uh, glorify yourself in it and through it. All this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, please keep your service bulletin open to the Luke passage so you can follow along with me. Make sure that what I'm saying is trustworthy and true. I wonder if you've ever been a part of constructing a mission statement, if you've ever uh, done that with your company or organization. You know, you all sit in a room and you brainstorm and you try and come up with that phrase that just kind of exactly captures what your organization is all about. You know, what they do, why they exist. Listen to some of these mission statements uh, that I found on the internet. Coca-Cola, to refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. Facebook, to give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. Or Google, to organize the world's information, make it universally accessible and useful. Or my personal favorite, and this probably says a lot about me, uh, Walmart, we save people money so they can live better. I wonder what your life's mission statement might be. I mean, this is the time of year to think about that, to think about what your life is going to be about. I wonder if you know that the Advent has a mission statement. I wonder if you know what that mission statement is. Well, I'm going to tell it to you right now. We are a church with a living, daring confidence in God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not in self-confidence that we live. It is in Christ's confidence. We exist to proclaim the freeing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples wherever God has placed us. Well, I'm, the reason why I'm saying all this is because in today's passage we get uh, what could be described as Jesus' mission statement. We get a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And what we'll see is that Jesus is the anointed Messiah who has come to bring in God's salvation. To give you a sense of where we are in Luke's gospel and what's been happening in our passage, we meet Jesus at the beginning of his three-year ministry. Just before this passage, Jesus had been baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit had descended upon him as a dove, and a voice came from heaven that said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. After this happens, Jesus is uh, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, where he's tempted by the devil. And after resisting these temptations by the word of God, in verse 14 we read that Jesus returns in the power of the Holy Spirit to the region of Galilee, which is in the northern region of the kingdom of Israel. While he's there, he's teaching in synagogues and he's, his fame is growing and he's being glorified by all. And in verse 16, we, we now zoom in on one particular occasion that Jesus was teaching in these synagogues. He's in his hometown of Nazareth, which is a town in the region of Galilee. And why was Jesus in the synagogue? Why is he teaching in the synagogues each Saturday? It's because this was his custom. You might remember the story in Luke chapter 2, where when Jesus was a young boy, he abandons his earthly parents in order to be with his heavenly father in the temple. 
Jesus grew up going to the temple every Sabbath. But now on this, on this occasion, something is a little bit different. Jesus had been, as we said, regularly teaching in the synagogues, and his fame had been spreading. And so now, with much wonder and great anticipation, the people want to hear what Jesus has to say. So he's invited to read from the prophets. And he opens the prophet Isaiah. He unrolls the scroll and finds a place that he wants to read. And this is what he reads. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, after reading this, he rolls up the scroll and he sits down and it's customary at that time uh, to stand when reading and to sit when teaching. So as Jesus sits down, the people are waiting to hear from him, waiting to hear what he has to say about this amazing passage. And look what he says in verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he proverbially drops the mic. What has, he just, what has just happened? What is he saying? In verse 22, which is not part of our passage, we read that the people are amazed and they start to you know, talk to each other and ask each other, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, don't we know this guy? Hasn't he been here every Saturday? And he's saying that today this is fulfilled? He's been coming here since he was a little boy. How can he say that today this scripture has been fulfilled? What does he mean by that? Well, in order for us to answer that question, we need to understand what the passage says in Isaiah in its original context, then we can work out within the context of Luke's gospel what Jesus means by that. So in Isaiah 61, the people of God are in exile. This means that they're held captive in a foreign land under a foreign ruler. But though it might feel like it for them, God has not given up on him, on them. And so he sends a message, God sends a message to the people of Israel that through uh, the prophet Isaiah that one day a new day is coming there is good news for them that one day everything will be good again and this good news is centered on this idea of the year of the Lord's favor or what we call in Leviticus 25 the year of Jubilee the year of Jubilee was a time when everything was set right again when debts that people had occurred were cancelled, when those who had offered themselves as slaves were freed, when everyone was to return to their own properties. Much like the Sabbath, but on a much greater scale, the year of Jubilee was to be a year of rest and of worship. I wonder if you can imagine what that felt like. Can you imagine if one day you looked at your mortgage statement and it had been totally paid for? On one day, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and on the next just nothing if your student loans were at zero if your credit card debt was gone if your car payments were no more that'd be pretty great wouldn't it that would be something to celebrate well Jesus deliberately chooses this passage and in doing so he lays out what his ministry is going to be all about what his mission statement is what his purpose is what he's come to do he's come as a fulfillment of that message that God spoke through Isaiah. He's the Spirit-anointed Messiah, come to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to bring freedom to the oppressed, 
to proclaim the Lord's favor. What does this mean practically for us? Is Jesus a social and political revolutionary? Well, yes, in some respects he is. He's come to turn the world upside down, he, to bring justice and to establish a new world order. And we see this all throughout Luke's gospel, all throughout the biographical accounts of Jesus' life. We see him healing the blind. We see him restoring dignity to those who are oppressed, those who have been shunned by society. We see him proclaim good news to the poor. The gospel does have social and political implications. We should indeed care for the poor. We should care about people who are held captive, either physically or mentally or socially. We should care for the disabled, for the oppressed. These are good things to do, and I'm glad that our church uh, does many of them, even if we do so imperfectly. But is this really what Jesus is saying, that uh, there's a new social and political realm going on? Was Jesus concerned merely with the physical welfare of God's people? Well, the answer is no, not exactly. He did and still does care about those physical, those physical needs, but the physical needs, these healings, he's, he's setting people free from demon possession. He's giving dignity, dignity of those who've been cast out. All of those physical things are pointing to an even greater spiritual reality. The greater reality that our salvation has come in Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus spoke of is that through his death and resurrection, we have the forgiveness of our sins. The debt that we owe to God has been cancelled. We are no longer captive to sin and death. In Jesus, we are free. The year of Jubilee has come spiritually for us. But we need to hold these two things in tension, this spiritual reality and this physical reality. Because Jesus, is, Jesus coming sorry, is a now but not yet reality. There is a time coming when the spiritual reality will be made physical when there will be no more poor or captives or blind or oppressed, when the thirsty will drink without cost, when every tear will be wiped away, when everything will be made new and we're to long for that day. But what Jesus is saying here is that reality, that age, it starts even now and that today is the day of salvation. In Jesus, God's salvation has broken in to our reality because the Savior has come. And so we do work for the elimination of poverty, loving our neighbors, but also knowing that the poor will always be with us. And we should care for the captives and the oppressed, but we do all these things not in order that we might somehow, by our best efforts, usher in God's utopic kingdom. No, rather we do them in response to the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection by which our sins are forgiven. It acknowledged that the, the greatest need for people in this life is not physical but spiritual. All people everywhere need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that God's long-awaited Messiah has come. He's come to set us free from our spiritual bondage to proclaim the Lord's favor and win for us the forgiveness of our sins, that in him our debt is gone, and that is something to celebrate. I hope that there are people that you are praying for that would hear this good news. 
We need to hear it every day for sure. We need to hear it time and time again. But there are some people who have not yet heard it or some people who have not yet fully understood it. And I, I, I hope that you're praying for those people. Well, what is Jesus' mission statement? Is it make the world great again? Is it to eliminate poverty in our time? Or to save people money so they can live better lives? Well, no, in Luke 19, Jesus tells Zacchaeus, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Praise be to God. For I was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Let me pray for us. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for the gift of your Son, that in Him we have the forgiveness of our sins and that we are set free. In Him we can experience the year of Jubilee. We long for the day when uh, that spiritual reality will become uh, a physical reality uh, perfectly and fully. And we ask that that day would come quickly, but we ask that you would give us patience as we wait uh, and patience to proclaim the good news that all might experience that joy. And Father, we ask all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.